Tetris, created in 1984 by Alexei Pajitnov in, at the time, the Soviet Union, is the most ported game of all time and the second highest selling franchise of all time. Just playing this theme for you at the beginning, I bet many of you instantly recognized it, and maybe even imagined some of those blocks falling. This game, addictive for so many, has been a topic of study for psychologists for years, from how it can invade dreams to seeing patterns in everyday life. Just how? Well, minasan konnichiwa and welcome to the board game dojo, where we use science and history to learn more about board games and the people who play them. This is a part of our quick hit series, where we study a topic in 15 minutes or less. Today, we are going to talk about something known as the Tetris Effect. Tetris, through its many iterations, has been about one central concept, placing four block-shaped objects into place and trying to clear out whole rows of them by placing them just perfectly. It takes planning, reactions, and a lot of practice. This is one of the reasons it is seen as one of the most addictive games of all time, its somewhat aggravating simplicity would hook gamers in, offering satisfying clearings and high scores if you just practiced a little more. But what people realized was that, after they played the game for a while, they would start to see blocks everywhere they went. Suddenly, the cereal boxes in the pantry became blocks to put together. Dinner portions could be organized so everything would fit perfectly on the circular plate, and people would dream about falling blocks. Jeffrey Goldsmith coined this phenomenon, the Tetris Effect, in his 1994 Wired article called This Is Your Brain on Tetris. For years, players nodded along, accepting of this phenomenon, but psychologists were intrigued. Why does this happen? What is going on? And besides, the same year, Okagaki and French published a study finding that after people started playing Tetris, which in their study was for six hours, gray matter in the brain, the part that processes information, became denser. And both men and women got better spatially, being better able to rotate shapes in their head. So maybe the Tetris effect would be a good thing. Robert Stickold and his team of researchers at Harvard set out to investigate not Tetris, but actually sleep. Look up anything on him and you'll find loads of fascinating sleep research, mostly on how the brain uses sleep to cement new skills and condense a lot of information into a gist of it for later memory. There was one particularly interesting study published in 1999 about how people would improve on a task of spawning a dot on a screen as quickly as possible. Those who didn't sleep didn't improve, those who slept for 6 hours improved, and those who slept for 8 hours, that is, enough time for REM and slow eye movement sleep, improved the most. After this experiment, Stickle came up with a theory as to why this would be. Maybe the sequential steps are important in memory and consolidation. I'm making up this analogy, but I hope it works. Think of your TV and think of when you used to need DVR and record shows. During the initial slow wave sleep, the hippocampus, the part of your brain that stores these recent memories, like a DVR, plays the memories for the neocortex, you sitting at home in this situation. The neocortex is in charge of storing the important stuff for permanent memory. When Stickle theorized is that this first phase is entirely in one direction. It's you watching the show. But REM, or rapid eye movement, is important because that's when the neocortex goes to the DVR and deletes those from storage, instead of letting it fill up. You made sense of the show, decided how good it was, and then deleted it from your DVR to make room for other stuff. To test out these important first hours of sleep, Stickle and his team decided to study the hypnagogic phase, which is usually that first hour of sleep where you're kinda awake and kinda sleeping. If you've ever twitched in your sleep or started having some weird hallucinations, this is the phase in which that's happening. They conducted a study that included 27 participants who would play Tetris for three days, two hours in the first day, one hour in the morning and evening the next couple days. 
12 of these participants, so a little less than half, had never played the game before. 10 of the participants were veterans of the game, and 5 were anterograde amnesiacs. Psychologists are still learning how anterograde amnesiacs' brains works, but we will go with the generally accepted description that they cannot make new memories, but long-term memories are still intact. If you've seen Finding Nemo, Dory is a good example, or as a bit older of an example, Leonard Shelby, the main character in Memento, is seen by experts as one of the most accurate portrayals of anterograde amnesia in film history. But what this means is that five of the participants in the study could not form new memories. Now, Stickle doesn't explicitly say whether the amnesiacs were to serve a more control group purpose, but it seems that way, as each of the participants had, in his words, extensive temporal lobe damage. He had subjects constantly tell them what they were seeing in their first hour of trying to sleep. 17 of the 27 participants reported seeing falling blocks in their hypnagogic phase. Most notably, it was a similar kind of imagery that these participants saw, putting these falling blocks down in an orderly way to gain points, like in Tetris, clearing those out. Many reported thoughts of Tetris before sleep, and as sleep occurred, the imagery of Tetris kept on. But what was striking was that three amnesiacs also reported a similar imagery. They would need to be taught again how to play the next day, and yet it still affected them even though they didn't remember learning how to play in the first place. One participant was described as putting their fingers on the right keys, not knowing what she was doing, and yet knowing what she was doing. A few other interesting notes of this study, the imagery seen was pretty consistent in the blocks, sure, but also in getting rid of the surroundings. The scoreboard, the keyboard, those were not present in people's descriptions, meaning that the brain really was trying to condense it down to the most important parts of the memory to improve, and improve the participants did, with those who described dreaming of the falling pieces improving the most. What's more, it seems as if the brain takes into account how much skill one already has, as the nine who initially scored the worst all described seeing the images, while only five of the veterans saw it, with two of those five not even seeing the version that they played that day, but rather the original Nintendo version they had learned on. But why does this happen? Why do our brains do this even when, in the amnesiac's sake, they don't even remember it the next day? Well, it depends on who you ask. The most basic idea is that it's just a matter of habit, a type of procedural memory in which we don't have to think about things, we just do things. This can be like tying your shoes or riding a bike. This would go towards Tadlock's more recent description of what procedural memory includes, called the predictive cycle, where the person only has to have a cognitive, that is, an intentional awareness of the desired result. So, okay, you want to clear the puzzle, you know this, you play the game a lot, and your brain starts to see the world through the lens of the game that you are, at the time, trying to complete. Another theory is that it has more to do with something called the Zygernik effect. Named after the Lithuanian Soviet psychologist who first noticed this, the theory is that people remember something better after the task has been interrupted. It keeps in our brain, bugging us until we get that thing done. Then we tend to forget all about it. The phenomenon was first studied when Zygernik noticed how waiters remembered people's orders well when they were taking the orders and upon delivery, but then promptly forgot all about them. Another example would be trivia games, which ask us a question and frustrates us until we know the answer. The idea is that Tetris does this exponentially. Each action in the game allows us to solve part of the puzzle, filling up a row or rows completely so that they disappear, but is also just as likely to create new, unfinished work. This can go on for hours, frustrating our brain while also satisfying it. If we aren't able to complete that grid, our brain works on it so that we can finally quote-unquote finish the board. But once we finish the board, another appears and you get the picture. However, our brain has learned at this point, and as we talked about before, it doesn't have to see the images in our sleep anymore once we get better at it, but it keeps working on it even while we sleep. But 
going back to Stickold, another option is just that we are learning and trying to strengthen associations. It's our brain trying to figure out what is important and what is not. The study seems to support this, with images being much more prevalent after the second day of practice, which would lead to theorizing that the brain, after the first day, went, okay, what is this new thing? Do I need to know this? And then after the second day going, okay, yes, I need to work on this. I need to start making associations. If you want to get technical, the hippocampus is blocked during REM sleep, meaning that those associations that usually make sense don't happen, which is why you can have strange dreams that don't really make any sense. But also, weak associations are given a kind of preferential access for the brain to toy with and try to make associations with. Often these are useless associations that just don't work. But it can be strengthened if it does, like when experts who had played the game are able to use their memories from their earlier plays, and the brain can also activate the games they just played that day during the study. The brain, in REM sleep, can use both of these and work to improve the expert's score, which is what happened. But no matter why it happens, there have been many studies exploring what happens when someone plays Tetris a lot. Some of the first major studies came out in the 90s. Richard Heyer of the University of California showed that brains become more efficient as skill levels grew in Tetris, and that playing Tetris can actually affect a brain's plasticity, that is, the ability to change and adapt due to experience. He showed that Tetris could promote cognitive development, enhance memory capacity, and generally contribute to keeping our brains healthy. This, combined with Okagaki and French's study that we talked about earlier that showed that grade matter, the part that processes information, remember, grew denser and that playing Tetris improved their spatial reasoning, those studies may be the reason that you may have heard that playing Tetris can keep your brain sharp, and is represented by many elderly people picking up Tetris just like other puzzle games like Sudoku. Another more recent development is using Tetris as a part of a therapeutic technique. In combat veterans and others experiencing PTSD or having traumatic flashbacks, playing Tetris and other word games was shown to reduce the amount of intrusive, unwanted flashbacks. Some studies even talk about using Tetris in a sort of golden hour after a traumatic event, keeping the brain super focused on Tetris and solving that problem and reducing the likelihood of PTSD in the future. This works by creating a dissociative state blocking the formation of long-term memories that could lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. The parts of the brain that would normally form these memories are being filled with this spatial puzzle, and as a consequence, the person playing the game shortly after the distressing event would remember Tetris patterns instead of the traumatic experience. To this day, people are continuing to study the Tetris effect, and it has since spawned many new avenues of research, one of which being called the game transfer phenomena. Game transfer phenomena, which was coined by Angelica B. Ortiz de Cotari and also studied heavily by Mark Griffiths, comprises of sensory perceptions, spontaneous mental processes, and behaviors derived from interactions with digital simulations in the video game environment. It's basically continuing a sense from the game state outside of the game. Studies have shown that more than 80% of gamers experience it at least once a year. We've talked about one example of this, like trying to reorganize your cabinet to fit together like Tetris blocks. Much of the research tries to find if this can cause involuntary actions in real life in a dissociative state, if alternate reality can increase the likelihood of GTP and the Tetris effect, and if different age groups are more or less prone to it. But overall, the Tetris effect is, if anything, a fascinating psychological phenomenon that continues to intrigue and somewhat puzzle psychologists. For over 30 years, Tetris has been found to strengthen brain associations, cause hallucinations when you sleep, and can even help people organize in real life. Not bad for a simple game about some falling blocks. Thanks so much for listening today. You can also check us out on YouTube if you want to see some more content from us. And if you really like us, a five-star review really helps out the show. Until next time, jane.